This is the A-B Testing 343 Podcast, a podcast where we ask one of the three listeners of the A-B Testing Podcast three questions about almost anything. ABT 343 is a fun slice of what's going on in the world of modern testing. Let's get started. Time for another ABT 343, and this time we have a fellow Unity employee. It's Melissa Eden. Hey, Melissa. Hey, Alan. We've already been talking for like 20 minutes, so we're all we're, all, we're already kind of warmed up. So that's all she had for me. Yeah. Just a hey, Alan. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what's up? Yeah. All right, great. So um, a listener of the podcast, right? Yes. Yeah, for a long time now. This is the podcast, as the intro says, where we talk to one of our listeners, one of our three listeners. This is our like, this is like our eighth or ninth third listener. Yeah. It's very confusing math. It's that new math. Do you know the story about the three? The, the one of three or the, yeah, kind of. Like it's been, kind of it's probably been worth repeating for people maybe starting here is that very early on, like in the first six months, year of our podcast, Brent and I used to joke about our three listeners because we were a new podcast. And that's how many podcasts new listeners have. But then people would walk up to us and say, hey, I'm one of the three. Like, oh, cool. And we knew what that meant. And it kind of stuck. It didn't help when somewhere in the 50s when Percy created the one of the three dot slack dot com. So now it's it's the official. And then I have stickers that on the back of this laptop I'm recording on that you can't see, even though I'm pointing at it, which say one of the three. So that's where it comes from. And I've talked enough for one of the one ABT three, four, three. So are you ready to answer three ish questions? Yeah. All right. I was thinking of asking an algebra question, but I'm not smart enough to think of one on the fly. So instead, I'll ask you about your career. So you've been, and I should know this because uh, I hired you. I know you've been at Unity for over a year. Mm-hmm. How is it two years yet? No, not quite. It'll be not two quite years two, right? in November. Okay. Year and a half. Yeah. We'll call it a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, so you've been in a management position for all of that time. Pretty much, yeah. What have you learned? What have you learned about being a manager? What 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 have been some of your big learning points? You can cover whatever you want. Um. Well, one of the things uh, I've had to learn more patience, uh, just around like people and coordinating and understanding and perspective. That's like I already. I thought I was pretty much a patient person, but when you start mixing in somebody other than yourself that you have to actually guide and talk with and have, you know, conversations on a regular basis and make sure they're doing okay. It's, um, you have to kind of double or triple what you're normally used to because they have to process and they have to come back. And it's sort of like a very long math equation. So that's that, that part's been interesting. So patience and then also learning how to, do leadership and management without doing command and control to an extent or, or being like a, a drive-by or drive-through or you know, kind of like that combination of trying to balance like how much is too much management or what's just enough or who how do you interact with people to give them guidance but and also emphasize what's priority but not like you know, micromanage them to death. <laughs> um, so that's, it's, 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 it's a, it's a balancing act and not, not be completely like hands off either because that, you know, things will happen and then you'll be like, Oh, how did that get completely off the rails? And then, so it's, it's, it's like all the spinning plates and everything. So some of that. Let, let's, let's 
pop the stack there for just a minute. Okay. So the leadership and management thing, I'd love if you could elaborate on a little bit. So what have you, I mean, you knew before you took this role that there was a difference between leadership and management. So what have you learned about that? What have you, what are some of the insights you've had in learning how to split and balance those two aspects? For me, they go hand in hand, but like leadership, I feel like is being able to stand up and either make a decision and then have, you know, have people actually believe that you can follow through with it or they follow through with that decision or, um, and then management is actually managing the decision you made, whether it's good or bad. Right. So if you decide to do something as a leader, then you pass that down or you, you know, you, um, disseminate or, uh, what's the other D word I'm trying to think of? Not defer. It's a Monday. My brain is saying it's Monday. What is it? It's okay. I can edit this part. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, I mean, I'm trying to think it's the, what is that word? It's, um, the delegate. Thank you. It's a D okay. disseminate, delegate. Yeah. So, I mean, we, when you delegate, to people to get something done on a decision that you've decided on. Like, I feel like leadership is making the decision. Delegation is the management part. And then also dealing with the result of that decision is the management part. So there's, there's, cause leaders can make a decision and then go off and do other things. But when you're managing, you also have to deal with the end result of whatever you decided to do. So that's been the, well, you have to deal with how that decision impacts people. Well, yeah, that's probably a lot more concise way of putting it. Um, impacts people or impacts a product or impacts like even customers to an extent. Like if I if I say, no, we're not going to ship something and I need, you know, this tested and that understood and this fixed and I've delegated that in a way and other people have taken those on then I have to, I also have to understand that I'm also dealing with like, and other people are dealing with the decision of holding a release for whatever reason, or if the opposite, you know, we decide to ship something and it's, and it makes an impact because there was something else we didn't catch. Then I also have to deal with that decision in a way or try to mitigate it the next time it comes back up. So a lot of the job is not only, and that's, that's just around the product that, doesn't even have to, that, that's not even encompassing having to deal with uh, decisions being made with, you know, how people are feeling or, you know, if they're sick or if they're, they're not being challenged enough at work and they want to learn more or if their career development is slow or too fast or any of those like personal decisions that people have to make, then you have to help them make those decisions as well. Like I don't have to, but I think as a good manager, I point them in the right direction, at least so that they can make a correct decision, hopefully. Their success is your responsibility. Yeah. So, so learning that and learning, you know, I already had inklings that that was a case, but definitely learning how to do that and how to do it, how to get better at it and recognize when I need to do it is like when I need to step in or ask a question or, you know, double check and just say, Hey, is everything okay? Do you need, is everything good? What can I try to help with? That's, that's been a learning process. I think, I think it came easier as time went on and as uh, I've had more people to be able to help delegate things across. And it's like, because uh, originally it was a three-team group. I came in and then one moved to development and then it was two and then 
when we started hiring people about six months after I got there. So it's, it's, it's been interesting for sure uh, to go from a very small team and trying to survive like that work and, and help that person and, and help myself to a larger team where we could delegate things and, and you can actually see things shift and change with the teams when you realize there's enough work for four people uh, <laughs> that two people were trying to manage. And that, that's, that's pretty interesting as well. So and there's, there was just a lot of things like technical and personal and, and skill-wise. A lot to learn. A lot, One yeah. thing I like you described very modern testing-ish, testing-ish, MT-ish, MT-ish in your description, which I really like, which pushes back on what uh, one thing I don't like about uh, the context-driven school is that you are describing yourself as a decision maker whose decisions matter, not someone who just provides information to someone to make those decisions. I think that's really important. Uh, as a leader, and a lot about the modern testing principles are about how you lead your teams towards a higher quality culture. Yeah, well, I used to be like that. It was like, I'm giving you the information, you have to make the decision, right? I think that in some way is a cop out. Uh, and some people would point that out when I was doing that. I mean, it depends on the system I was working in. But as a as a lead, as a tester, as someone who is trying to help make a decision, it's not my decision alone. Like, I feel like it's more of a quorum now. Like if you're running things right, everybody helps make that decision, I think. And whether I'm doing, I'm working with the lead developer or another tester or uh, ops or whatever, like we all weigh the decision together. And if my decision is different from theirs, we try to understand why. I think it's more important to understand, come to a conclusion that everybody can agree upon versus like saying, oh, I've just, you know, here's, here's my decision, whatever you decide, it's up to you. Like it's, it feels yeah, like to me too. Yeah. Full agreement. So uh, I have a bonus question for you. Uh, So sorry to put you on the spot, but I think for context of the last question, this would be good is, can you talk just briefly about because your role has changed since you started at Unity. I think it'd be worth talking about what you're doing now for your org and what your team is doing. Actually, this is like the third time it's changed. I've been there a year and a half. So I started out as a QA lead. So as a technical lead. And then about six months in, shifted to management because I hired a team. So I was managing about four people. Um, and that was that was interesting and trying to get that moving. And then recently, I've also shifted to more of a quality coach or quality consultant. So we have a team now um, called, uh, what did I, I did something clever, um, Quality Elevation. So we're doing, so I just named it. Oh, a, a new QE, awesome. QE, like we're doing, um, uh, and, and it caught on. Like I was just like, oh, I was just playing with a name to kind of give the team like a little bit of, you know, because I wanted to get away from assurance or acceptance or like, you know, having the QA. So I felt like, you know, hey, what are we actually trying to do? We're trying to elevate quality. We're trying to raise the bar and help the teams raise the bar. So so um, called it the quality elevation team and Stephen liked it. So it stuck. And now we're... I, I don't I don't hate it. Uh, good. Yay. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, um, it's, 
it's the idea of actually helping the teams find ways to uh, measure and perform, you know, what, whatever they decide and whatever we help them understand that they should be targeting. Uh, different quality metrics, different, just different uh, process tasks that could help them, you know, understand where their gaps are. So it's, it's a lot of uh, consulting with the leads, consulting with the teams, working with the teams on technical gaps and issues, anything from automation to tooling that, that could help them uh, raise their quality. So that, that includes like figuring out what analytics, figuring out what kind of automation they need to put in place. So and even documentation. So it's 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 all of the encompassing things that are kind of out of that functional testing realm that that that's away from it. Like the, the teams are really owning the functional testing and we're owning like how to get them the things they need to actually improve and move faster. So I I it, dig it. It sounds like you're accelerating the achievement of shippable quality. I am. I'm actually really happy about it because I feel like I've I've kind of come full circle back around to where I was when I was at ThoughtWorks and what I was doing with ThoughtWorks and that kind of mindset of having everybody own quality and then trying to just take it one step further and like, hey, let's introduce this and let's do this. And, you know, um, and and it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey this last year and a half. And I really am encouraged and excited about where this next phase of my career is going inside of Unity. So. Super cool. Yeah. So. Coaching question for you. Sure. I know that you, from your testing experience, you are a great problem solver. Uh, how do you, whether it's your team or developers you work with, what are some things or stories or adventures or whatever you've learned in coaching people to solve problems? Mm. Like, how do you help? How do you know, like, when, like, do you, it's a tough thing because you just want to do it, not delegate it. But when do you, how do you how do you approach that partnership of solving a problem together? Yeah, I think it is. I've gotten better at delegating, um, especially when I know I've that there is some technical aspect that would take me a lot longer to ramp up on. If I can explain it well enough, and somebody that has more technical expertise in that area can pick it up faster than me, I try to find that person. Um, so that's the problem. solver. it's like, I'm going to try to find the person to solve this problem that I know we have. The other, the other thing is just having conversations and suggesting things and whether people try them or not, you know, or just planting the seed and they come back around to it. Um, that that's okay. Like, and just, and just offering up uh, solutions that could help in the moment, you know, everything from root cause analysis to retrospectives to, Hey, could we tweak? You know, what what if we tweak the sprints just a little bit to do something different? And and you know, even if they push back and they're like, no, we're not going to try that right now. Sometimes they come back around and they'll try it later. Um, so even just having a conversation about a problem that might not be solved right then, or you know, delayed like a delayed response is good. Um, trying to enable people to solve the problems themselves is a little bit harder. It's harder to identify too because oftentimes you don't know that you've had an impact or you've had a conversation that's had an impact that somebody has solved the problem with. Um, I think that happens more. I've seen it more on the career side of things when I've talked with folks about uh, mentoring and career um, inside the company. 
and they're having a difficult problem, like they're trying to get developers to do more unit tests or they're trying to get them to try something that could help. Um, you know, I'll ask them, I'm like, what, who's, you, you know, who's the ally? Who do you have there that could help you that sees like your perspective that could um, help you demonstrate to the rest of the team, you know, whether it's pair development or pair testing or whatever. And they're like, oh, this person could help me. And I was like, okay, well then, then set up a time and kind of demonstrate it and get moving on that, you know, and, 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 you know, work at that problem from that direction. So it's a lot of, a lot of coaching and talking about like, well, you know, the other thing that comes up is they'll ask me, they're like, oh, what do I do about this? This is a huge problem. I was like, well, have you had a conversation with that person to see if you can solve that problem? And then they'll, they'll stop and it's like, oh, that's a good idea. I should go do that. And then sometimes I, I hear back, oh, I had a conversation. This is great. And this is how it turned out. Um, so sometimes it's just suggesting the obvious, which is funny, but true. Like, it's like, hey, you know, did you, did you give your, you know, critical feedback? Did, did we talk about, you know, have, did you get a chance to talk about this in three cues? Like, what can you do to help improve your situation? Um, whether that's a technical problem or a personal problem or a process problem, sometimes it's just like, you know, hey, what what else can we do to help you? Like, what? Let's come up with brainstorm some stuff. I find that that just giving the person space to think through the problem and have somebody like be the rubber ducky really has helped quite a bit. It helps me too. I have. I have a bunch of people that I do this with. So it, I, I feel like I just sort of also be that person. It's like, Hey, I, you know, I'm my whole career. I've talked with other people. It's like, Hey, I'm doing this. Is this right? Or is this wrong? Is this like, what is this working with? Uh, you know, how's this working? And I feel like I've, I've provided myself to a certain extent to do the same thing. And I, I see the benefit of that. I think other people see the benefit of it too. Yeah. It's tough. I, I have learned to ask questions like, what have you tried already? Yeah, that's a good what one. Do you think you, what do you think you need to try next? Yeah. Those are those are good cop outs, but they actually work. They do because it, it makes it makes them think of like, oh, it's like have you have you gone to talk to that person? Are you are you it's it's also sometimes have I have no idea. Feedback? Sometimes I get pulled into solving a problem uh-huh. and I don't know what's going on. So at least by asking those it stalls. Yeah. I don't have to go into advice mode right away. And often you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had employees come explain a problem to me they were having and in the process of explaining it to me go oh i get it never mind bye <laughs> i've also done um this one works really well and i like doing it with developers like they'll come to me and they're like okay i need all of this testing and then i'll stop them and go what have you tested already and they're like oh i could go do this and i could go do that and i'm like okay great let's yeah let's do that and they'll go off and do it and come back and be like, oh, I found some other stuff. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, make, let's make sure we're, <laughs> we're tracking it. So I feel like that, that yeah, yeah. What, you know, what have you done already is definitely a, uh, a great question. And it does seem, you know, like, a, like turning the question into a question. It's like, you're asking me a question, but I'm going to ask you a question, which is fine. I, I think sometimes we just need somebody to help us jog our brains. Yeah, yeah, just give give you new things to think about. There's mm-hmm. like the the really good uh like a, a really good swimming coach. I'm not a swimmer, so I'm going to make something up here. <laughs> might say might ask a question like, "Do you feel like your hands are in the right position?" Like you don't want to change too much at once. Just give them the one question to think about for the next lap. Right. Like how did that feel? Well, 
those are so those are like in sports coaching uh, a good coach will just ask questions about what's going on to try and get someone to think about what's happening i think it's very applicable to use things like that in managing knowledge workers as well so trick from my therapist and she's done this several times uh she's she's a somatic therapist so it's not only about like what you're saying but what you're feeling at the time that you're saying something so i'll i'll be talking about something and she'll stop me and ask me like where i'm feeling that like how does that feel to say that like what is what is the feeling that's coming up so i think it's a it's a very similar thing maybe that's a little bit deeper into it but the idea that you're kind of thinking about the different connections between the words and the actions, right? Or the words and the feelings and trying to understand how those two actually fit together. Um, I get, but we can yeah. do that as managers. I think totally. when you have the developer come to you and say, hey, I found some bugs or I found some issues. Not, not just great, but you could also ask that point. It's like, how do you feel about that? They go, it's kind of fun. Yeah. And just acknowledging that is a pretty powerful management or leadership tool as well. Yeah, definitely. I, that's not something I've done yet, but I think that I, I, I will, <laughs> I am writing that down right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. I know. I'm here to help. <laughs> so one, one thing the listeners don't know is that Melissa and I chat every other week anyway. I hired her at Unity and I, I'm happy to hear of her continued success. So uh, we check in and make sure things are going well. So one last question. One thing I never tell someone I'm hiring into a management position. It's one of the things all managers have to learn at some point, And it's nothing short. And the re- maybe the reason I don't describe it is not bait and switch. It's because you just can't know what to expect. So with that lead-in, for any aspirational managers out there, there's one thing I want you to dig into and share some stories on for a while. And that is, as a manager, you manage people. And sometimes you need to hire people. So I would like to hear Melissa's adventures in hiring because I'm sure there are some good bits of information and or stories that we may need to change the names to protect the guilty, right. but we'll see what happens. So what's it like? It's, it's always, I don't know how I could prepare you for it. So I'll just say that. So I'm, I, that's my attempt at an apology, but uh, tell me about what you've learned hiring and recruiting and, and that part of the manager's well, role. Um, I, I've learned you need to be really engaged with the recruiter. Like yeah, and and early on you said patient so maybe that comes up here again too. All right, yeah, I'm gonna shut up now. Definitely, definitely patience. Um, as a manager, one of the first first things you need to learn how to do is really engage with a recruiter, and and that that that's a process. Like learning them, having them learn you, having ha- setting expectations. That's probably the hardest. It's not, and I've been through a couple of recruiters now. And every, everybody's different. It's like every person you hire is different. So one of the things that some recruiters are really good at making sure that you have a diverse pool. Some of them are, um, you know, very focused on the technical aspects of what you're looking for. So then you have to remind them that you want a diverse pool. Um, There's also, you know, you could have a really diverse pool, really technically uh, sound folks that are interviewing and then 
you know, your, your uh, salary ranges are out of place with the, the folks that you have in your pool. Like there's all of these aspects that I didn't really think about when I came in and was like, oh, I'm going to hire some people. You know, I'm just, I'm going to hire the best people I can hire. Well, I can, I have to hire the best talent I can find in the most objective way for the money I have available. And I think I didn't entirely understand that equation until I was forced into it and then realized that, um, you know, sometimes you have to, uh, you know, if this really good candidate over here is really expensive and this other really good candidate is not asking for enough. And it's like, how do you like balance all that on top of a, you know, trying to make sure that you're not, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it kind of comes with, you know, different aspects of uh, hiring for, you know, women or hiring men or hiring, you know, um, people of color and, and making sure that everybody has a fair shake and developing a rubric and standardizing how people are interviewed. And because I was the team manager that had to hire the most people, I got to develop all of that as a first time manager for our office because we didn't have it. Um, I couldn't, it's one of those things, Ash Coleman, I actually asked her at Test Bash Brighton, like, what should I do to make sure I'm hiring the right folks and making sure I'm doing it objectively? And she was like, you need a rubric. And then I was like, well, how the hell do I do that? And, and then a very nice chap that I'm totally forgetting his name, um, sent me a copy of his rubric under, under, under penalty, it's probably a good thing that I don't remember his name, so I'm not going <laughs> to divulge. He was like, please don't tell anybody I shared this with you. <laughs> I was like, okay. But he gave I'm, me- I'm glad I do not have to edit yeah. a name out of the podcast. <laughs> but he knows who he is. Hopefully he listens. But it's, it's uh, he, he was really cool. He sent uh, an example to me and I took that example and then created our own template. And then um, everybody in our group adopted that. And, and it's really helped, I think, to change it from sort of this- gut feeling about a candidate to something a little bit more objective. Um, it's still objective because everybody interviews differently. They, you know, will ask the same questions, but there's still that, you know, individual perspective on it. So yeah. And then developing, oh, you know, a way to measure like technical talent in a way that I thought actually fit the role that people were trying to take on versus like some really esoteric, uh, coding tests that really didn't fit what we were doing at Unity. So there, there was there was that aspect of it too. And I think the, the end result was I got four really qualified people. And um, I, I, I'm very happy with the the team that is no longer going to be my team because because I'm I'm developing a new team, but um, those people uh, are very talented and they're doing really exceptionally well. And that that I think if if I point to one success I've had this year was was doing that and do and I felt like I I did the right things and I hired the right people. So that that. And I don't know that I wouldn't, I would have been as successful if I wasn't like very brazen about asking all the, all the questions <laughs> and, and staying on top of recruitment. It's like, Hey, do I have all the resumes? Did I look at everything? Why do we have more men in this pool than women? Where are, you know, what, what is your exclusion? Like, what, how are you filtering these things? 
just, I, it's, and I probably annoyed the crap out of a lot of people, but I just asked a lot of questions and just kept at it because I wanted to make sure we, you know, hired like the right people for the job and hired the right talent and, and got talented people in the door um, that had skill sets and potential for growth and, and potential to teach people things and um, really understood like what it would be to be on a team and to, you know, also have that independence and the drive to learn for themselves, but also be willing to work in a cooperative, which, which I think is really hard. I think there are some things, some aspects about software development that are still hanging around that you have to be this hero developer or hero tester. And I really tried very hard to kind of hire people to sort of squash that. Like, hey, I need you to work independently, yeah, well, but I also need you to like yes. actually cooperate with people too like, and work in a team. And and then I'm pretty confident that the people I've hired are are good at doing both. So that's that's more than anything is um, I'm really happy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I I often speak of the need to train recruiters, and yeah. often what happens is you just get them where you want them, and they move on to some other role, and you go, "No, I have to start over again." No. Yeah. <laughs> so we just filled the final two openings on my new team. Mm-hmm. So both are both of those people are starting on Monday, so that'll be very nice. Nice. And then I don't have to talk to recruiting, so I'm not planning on doing any more hiring at all in 2020. And I feel pretty good about retention across the team. So I think I'm done because it takes a lot of time, right? Oh yeah, like from I think that's the other really frustrating thing is the lead time can be anywhere from three to six months to hire somebody. I think other people definitely underestimate how long it takes because then you have to go through the hire, like recruiting. So people send resumes all the time, but then they have to go through and kind of you know manage all of that. And then you have to work with the recruiter and then they have to have a phone screen. Then you have to have a phone screen. And then there's uh, you know the, the different technical thing aspects of it. And then on-site interviews. And then if you're, multi- you're interviewing three to five people per job opening, which should be the minimum, um, it shouldn't just be like a one shot thing, uh, then yeah, that, that all takes a lot of time and, if, and people get really frustrated if it goes too fast or it goes too slow. And it's, it's like, I, I get it. I, sometimes I, I get frustrated about that too. And I understand and it's not easy on either side of that fence, like being the person that's in that hiring process or being the person that's trying to hire somebody because you want, you just want to do the right thing. And <laughs> sometimes the process does not make it easy to do the right thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Fully agree. Well, although we talk all the time or at least frequently, yeah. it's been great having you on ABT343. I will post links to your blog Thank you. and to Twitter Anything else I should know about on the internet you'd like people to uh, have a link to? Uh, no. Uh, Twitter's good and uh, the blog is still going. I, I need to put up a, it's been an adventure. I think the last time I posted was December. So I need to update my manager year one to manager year two or something. Oh, yeah. You yeah. have an update due. Yes, you I have do. an update due. Do. And of course, I gave up on blogging, but sort of fell in love with the five links every Friday thing. So I do that. And some, sometimes I find some good ones in there. Uh, so yeah, that's my thing. It's not really blogging. It's more of re... What's that called? Re-blogging? re-blogging. Or maybe re... 
It's really, I'm just taking curating. five things I could have tweeted and putting them into a blog post at the end of the week. Yeah, but it still works. I, I retweet it's, that tweet all the time. And I and I look over those blogs. I don't read all of them, but I do I do look them over. So it's, it's worth it, I think. Um, it's one of the things I like to do with my Twitter quite a bit, uh, especially on the technical side is, you know, somebody blogs something or posts it. I, I'll, I'm a, I'm a retweet person for sure. Cause I think it's, it's cool. Good. Yeah. All right. We'll tag Melissa on Twitter and she'll retweet your tag. Yeah. Coverage of reach, reach. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. And we'll see you soon. All right.